Welcome to Reframe the Podcast, helping you reframe your thought patterns, habits and mindsets to create the life that you want to lead. In today's episode of Reframe, we are discussing the subject of eating disorders and eating disorder recovery. So just a little heads up that the content might not be suitable for all listeners. Today's guests are mother and daughter team, Rebecca and B from Recovery From Within. Rebecca and B have first-hand experience of battling an eating disorder when B went through her own eating disorder and Rebecca was there to care for her. And now they use their experiences and their coaching expertise to support others on that road to recovery. I think you'll agree that today's chat is beautifully real. It's raw in places. It is hopeful and incredibly inspiring. And I'm very much looking forward to sharing it with you. Morning, Rebecca and B. It's so lovely to have you here chatting with us at Reframe Club. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here, and I've been really looking forward to having this conversation. Um, but I think a really good place to start would be to have you guys just tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what it is that you do. Who's going to go first? Um, <laughs> we always have this moment. It's like, who's going to go first? You go first. I'll go first. No, thank you so much for having us on. We're really excited to have this, this conversation. Um, so my name, my name's B. Um, I am Rebecca's daughter, so we'll most likely refer to her, her as mum. So just, just in case there's any confusion there. Um, yeah, so I mean, we're, we're here to kind of share our, our story of, of recovery, really. I was diagnosed with uh, anorexia when I was 14. I'm now in my late 20s. It was, it was just the toughest time of of my life both of our lives really but I mean we'll, we'll kind of I'm sure we'll dig into that a little bit more but I'm I'm sat here as a 28 year old and I don't have an eating disorder and I never thought that was going to be possible and I think maybe a lot of people assumed that that wasn't going to be possible it might be something that I'd have to manage for for many many years or have have it kind of in the background lurking and me having to be on guard all the time in case it came back but that's just not the case I I do not have an eating disorder and um and I'm loving life <laughs> but that's that's why we have decided to do what we do now which is supporting others going through what we went through not just anorexia but all all sorts of eating disorders working one-to-one providing um support to families programs all that kind of stuff we wrote a book a couple of years ago a few years ago now I think so yeah it just feels really important and like when when I recovered or when I was kind of on my road to recovery I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to do something to support other people who were going through what I went through because if you haven't had an eating disorder it's really confusing (laughs) and really difficult to understand and I remember being kind of sat sat opposite psychologists, psychotherapists, counsellors who were obviously doing their absolute best and kind of saying, yeah, I can I can imagine how that feels. But it's like there was something missing. It's like, but I don't think you do. Mm. <laughs> so so that's really why we why we do what we do now. And it's it's tough. Mm. Um, but it's bringing that kind of message of hope I guess that that recovery is possible is just yeah that's that's why we do it really yeah and it's wonderful to sit here and hear you say those words I I don't have an eating disorder and Rebecca as mum you know how does that feel to hear B say that well I've already got tingles and goosebumps because it always um B will always say I will probably cry at some point in this in this conversation because the day that I realized that B had an eating disorder was probably the worst day of my life so far um and I never imagined that we would be sitting here you know 14 years on working together which is an absolute joy as a mum um supporting people offering people hope and actually being as be said being able to sit here and be able to say to mums and dads and carers I know what it's like 
And that gives them, you know, because when B was ill, I spoke to no one, no one in the entire time, because, you know, for, for, from a carer's perspective, there, there are so many emotions that you're going through and so many feelings you have. And one of the big ones for me was shame, because it was like, what had I done wrong as a mum that my daughter was starving herself? So I didn't speak to anybody. And I hear that now in conversations with parents, particularly, and helping them see that this isn't their fault, that this is just something that, that they're going through. It's not who they are. Um, and, and to offer suggestions and my experience to help others that are going through the same thing. And, and as B said, it's hard work um, because you feel it so deeply because it's like, you know, every time we have a new family come on the call, it kind of does take you back. And, 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 and then I am so grateful for where we are so grateful that B has recovered and so grateful that B absolutely does not have an eating disorder. And, and you know, as, as, we, as we said, didn't know that that was possible. There are, there are a few things as you're talking, Rebecca, that are really resonating with me. Um, and I think it's, it's such a beautiful thing that you are taking, the both of you are taking your experiences and turning that into really a gift to other people, to be able to hold space for them, to be able to give them a, a safe place, a trusted place, because you have walked that journey. Trust, mistrust is something that comes up a lot in eating disorders, you know, especially as a person with it, you know, who can I, who can I trust out of all these people that are going to support me in a way that I feel safe with, they're not just going to shout at me to eat. So I think trust is a really, is a really key word. And the other key word that came up for me is shame, because I think that's such an underlying um, emotion, a feeling that that threads itself throughout eating disorders, and there's also that part of me that I'm a mum of three now, and I have two teenagers in my house and a preteen, and that when you said I didn't have anyone, I had no one to speak to. My mum was a single mum, and I was 14, 15 when I started, and I was 16 when I was diagnosed, and looking back now as a mum, one, I can, I think about the fear I, she must have felt, that, you know, absolute fear, but two, how alone she was in that, and how difficult it, it must have been, so for, for a parent to have that support, to help unpick those things, and also develop those skills of recognising how best to communicate with me, you know, or with their child, or, you know, that, that is, vital so what kind of took you from the point of obviously be recovering was it during your recovery be that you made the decision to work together or had you fully recovered when you said no this is where we're going to take this and we're going to create something from our journey so we we talked about it while I was kind of in still in recovery um but somehow it still felt a bit too raw um, but also I think because I still had some of this stuff going on in the background, it was like, I still had a lot of the rules that I'd had during my eating disorder. It wasn't like the eating disorder was front and center at that time, but it was still kind of bubbling away. And, but we've had lots of conversations about this since then, but I know that mum still walked on eggshells a lot when I would come back from university or, or like come back and you would be thinking about okay well what what will be eat for dinner what can I cook so that B will eat and me kind of being a bit of a, a hoverer while while mum would cook and making sure that the right things were going in and things like that make sure that I was serving myself my own portion and and I was eating I was eating enough it wasn't it wasn't necessarily that my my weight was a concern at that point but it's just a lot of the a lot of the chatter was still there yeah. so I think at that point it didn't feel right to to start working together it's interesting because we know we never actually talked about it like this it wasn't like I sat down and said you know what meeting store was still still pretty loud it was it was just below the surface it was like this kind of unspoken thing that was the kind of elephant in the room. 
Um, but it really got to a point where it was maybe four years ago or so. Um, time is doing strange things at the moment. So I, I always get tangled up in the timeline where I really felt like all of those rules, beliefs, habits, behaviors just fell away. And it was, it was really from that point that we just sat down and said, we need to write this book. Mm. So, so we did. And from then we, um, we just decided to kind of build on that really. And I, I was working in the civil service at the time and I retrained as a, as a coach. And since then have been kind of, we've been working, as I was saying earlier, kind of one-to-one -one with, with families, individuals, we've created online programs, we're creating a workbook at the moment. Um, so it's all been quite sort of organic and yeah. has just grown as, as we've grown really. So yeah, that, that's kind of how it, how it came about. I had someone once described to me, and I think you kind of articulated it beautifully there, Be about eating disorders recovery being in layers. So there's mm. kind of those initial layers of recovery that you kind of described where weight stabilizes, but there's still that echo of the eating disorder voice and there's still an element of control around food. And then there is this, we can experience this final, totally wonderful, full recovery. Um, would you say that writing the book together, was that part of that journey, that healing journey? Do you feel like writing the book has closed a loop for you? Or I'm just wondering how that process working together is perhaps, you know, how that may have contributed to, to your healing journey for both of you as carer and as the person with the eating disorder. It certainly has for me, because as yeah. B was saying then that I was still walk, walking on eggshells a lot of the time because it was yeah. like um, I was too frightened to talk about it, to say the words eating disorder in case it that 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 was the touch paper that then burst, you know, it burst back into flames again. Yeah. So I was forever on eggshells, forever tentative, forever second guessing and never wanting to mention it. So, but, but there was, this time was different when B, when I saw the B was because, because all of those rules were, had fallen, were falling away, literally layers and layers and layers, really quite quickly all fell away when she saw through it, if you like. And, and I felt safe. I felt, you know, safe to talk about it, safe to challenge it, safe to, because it was like, oh, she's seen something completely different now. This isn't just being pushed into a dark cupboard and the, and the and, you know and and the lock turned, but it could come out under the door again. This was no. This is it. No longer makes sense to her. So the writing of the book was extraordinary because we gave each other free, and we felt so comfortable to be able to write and for the other one to read and go, yeah. Or what about changing this so we we could edit each other's work without fear of judgment without so there was nothing about taking any criticism if you like or or editing personally we just didn't do that and one of the interesting things for me and, and it was a joy to see B writing about this stuff and of course I cried my eyes out when I was reading B's bit and B cried her eyes out when she was reading my bit because she hadn't seen what it was like from my side but one of the things that B said to me when we'd kind of got to the end but she, but she said to me, but where are you in this, mum? Because you've written this as coach, because I've been a coach for 15 years. She said, where are you in this? And, and it was so interesting because my thoughts were, oh, but this is about B's recovery. And she said, no, this is our recovery. Yeah. So I then went back in and wrote from my heart and I can feel the emotion coming up now. And that really helped me to get that down. And those are the bits in the book that people come back to me, whether they're suffering themselves or they are a carer and have said that that really touched me. You know, we in fact, uh, I, what's just come to mind is that we've done talks at universities as part of um, medicine, pro, you know, degree courses. And at the end of one talk that we gave a, um, a student came up to me and she just said thank you so much for that she said I'm going home to phone my mum because I never realized what she went through when I was ill and that was sorry I'm about to go I'm, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting emotional um, just hearing you say it Rebecca yeah 
Um, and if and if it helps one other person to not feel so alone, yeah. that is is worth everything because it turns the pain that we went through into into something good. Yeah, and I I think that that idea of isolation was was so big for both of us. It's eating disorders are so secretive that from from my perspective I didn't want anyone to know and I would get really angry if mum told anyone <laughs> I remember some of those conversations yeah. and and so that that's such a big part of why we're doing what we're doing it's just holding holding that space just mm. doing doing whatever we can just so people feel seen um seen and heard and not judged I think that there can be, because eating disorders are so difficult to understand, there can maybe be a lot of uh, assumptions or, or judgment around it. It's like, just eat. <laughs> or like, it's it's fine. Just like, why, why are you so upset? Why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do that? Being able to just be be there and, and share our experience and do whatever we can, just as you were saying, mum, just to help people feel even that tiny bit less alone then that kind of feels like job done to us um but just just to add in terms of the the book the process of the book and how that helped my recovery I think it I mean to be honest I haven't really thought about it until until now I think things definitely started to fall away before then um but it was I think just getting stuff down on paper and just talking about it and kind of getting it out into the open, I think kind of accelerated that process. And I think also it was a real, I mean, it did amazing things to our relationship, my relationship with mum, that again, just getting everything out into the open, being so vulnerable with each other, I think has, is what has brought us even closer and is why we work together now. Like we talk like, three times a day <laughs> and and we're like best friends and I like when I was 14 in the thick of my eating disorder I never would have thought that that would have would have been the case and I feel extremely lucky that we have got to this place now I think we have a very special relationship mm. and I think it's it's going through that kind of trauma together and coming out the other side but I feel like we've always always done it together even even when we were shouting at each other slamming doors in what's well, mainly me slamming doors in her face but we were it was always together and I think that's what has made us so strong today it's interesting isn't it because we did we were invited to do um a talk on radio four um the listen for the listening project yeah and um the title of that of of our piece is called it was it it, it was just you and me because that was it you know we had um, b's dad who i'm now divorced from and her two brothers in the house but it was just being me it was just being me i can feel it i can literally feel it through the screen that connection that deep deep connection that has come out of this and that that is such a such an, an amazing thing to have come out of this alone is a word that I hear a lot when I talk to people who have had or have an eating disorder this feeling of of being alone and isolated and as you both articulated that fear of there's that misunderstanding around eating disorders and then there's fear there's fear of what is happening to my child but that fear of judgment that lack of understanding all of those things bring me to the question really um what do you think we need more of you know what do we need at our disposal to support our loved ones when they have an eating disorder in terms of resources and skills because i don't know whether or not outside of the work you guys are doing you know i know when i was going through it and it was a long time ago there was just nothing there it's not the norm to be supporting the carers, is it? Or is it changing? Or I, I think that there's sparse, it's sparse. Um, mm. because the focus is naturally on the person with the eating disorder, but they can't do it alone. 
and the NHS currently is just stretched so thinly that there is I mean, they're, they're, even though those that are struggling aren't getting the support that they need, or it's all about weight restoration and not focusing on the mind, which is where we come in. Mm. But but you're, you're absolutely right. There, I mean, there are some, I think, some lucky areas in the country, pockets in the country where there are parenting groups, but but not much. And, and I don't think that, you know, I don't know anybody else doing what we're doing. So we're trying to think of all, and of course, you know, there's just the two of us. And, and as we've said, this work is tough. So we need to look after ourselves as well. Yes. Um, so this is the reason that we're, we're creating a parenting program, which is gonna be all video based so that you can do that as a self, I hate the word self-study, but you know, it's- Self-guided. Self-guided, thank you, darling. And supporting in that way, because, uh, and interestingly, in, in the program that we're creating, we would, were, we were, yeah, I mean, there are so many videos we could do, but obviously we want, we don't want it, we don't want somebody to open it and go, oh God, this is another thing for me to do, is the most important thing, which feels so counterintuitive, is looking after yourself as a carer. And that is so counterintuitive, and I've heard it from so many parents, but it's, but they're sick, they're sick, they're sick. Yeah, but if you get sick as well, if you are running on empty, if you are exhausted how do you expect to look after anybody else so it is the old thing that I bring out time and time again about when we're on a on an airplane oh oh I wish we could be on an airplane right now as an in bracket <laughs> um, the stewards say to you if there's a drop in oxygen or pressure cabin pressure oxygen masks will fall from the ceiling put yours on before you help anybody else with theirs even if that's a small child because if you've got no oxygen, then you can't help anybody. Yeah. But we fail to see as parents and carers, but, you know, but that's selfish. I, I, I can't go off and have a, a, a manicure or, or take some time off and go and read my book or sit in a bath when they're not eating or whether when they are throwing up or when they are doing or, or exercising like crazy. But you have to. Yeah. You have to. Because if, because if you're caught up in, 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 uh, and running on empty and you're caught up in your own thinking and fear and your own trauma, how can you possibly take a pause, take a breath and say something that's helpful rather than reactive, yes. which then might alienate them even more? Yes. So looking after yourself has to be your priority. And I know how weird that sounds. But it's so true. Um, and that, that has to be my biggest message in this. And the knock-on effect that that has, mm. it's like when you're, like you were saying, that when, when you're rested and you have a, a clearer, more settled mind, I mean, when, when we're tired, we just get so, so caught up and worried and stressed and anxious. And then that feels like we need to do even more. But actually... It's like when we're when we're driving through a fog, we don't slam on the accelerator to try and find the, the turn off. <laughs> we slow down, we pull over. And it's and it's the same because it's it's I mean it's harming harming the the carers themselves, but actually just thinking of that that calmer, clearer mind and how everything looks so much more manageable when we're mm -hmm. in that state whether we're care or whether we're not yeah. that actually solutions kind of present themselves or the right thing to say will present itself but when we're when we're running on empty and we're in overdrive that that doesn't happen as much and again it's it's counterintuitive to slow down when we feel like we need to uh, kind of fix everything and and find a solution but yeah I think just yeah, just echoing, echoing that point, the importance of that. As you say, you know, that stabilising of the ground you're standing on so you can be regulated so that you can hold what sometimes a bit of a, you know, a tornado of emotions going on elsewhere. And I don't know, do you ever, um, do you subscribe to the Maudsley kind of model where they talk about being a kangaroo, a jellyfish, a dolphin as a carer? Um, and that you know being a I love the analogy of the St Bernard 
being that calm centered kind of self and I think that's I personally um can see a little bit of a jellyfish in myself (laughs) on occasion and my emotions can all come up to the front and actually that was a really useful framework for me even in terms of parenting I think outside of an eating disorder I think it's a really useful framework it was the one book so we're you know 14 years ago I can't think 2008 there wasn't much around Mm. um and that was the one book that stood out for me and really really helped me at the time the one and I've still got it on my bookshelf um and and it's something I do talk about to parents and again in a non-judgmental way don't judge yourself when you're being the jellyfish don't judge yourself when you're the the rhino or the terrier or whatever it is let's you know, because yeah, life—we're human, all right. We're human, but actually, yes. Notice how a dolphin is with its young, and notice what it what it feels like to be around a Saint Bernard, and you know, let that be your guide, really. Mm-hmm. And you can only do that when you're rested. Yes, fed, have had your own connections outside of the house. Yep. You know the importance of you know, as you kind of said at the time, it was you and B inside the home, you know, the family of five, but it was, it was you and B and there's an intensity around that. And the importance of you having connections outside that give you space to breathe. I can imagine as a parent is, I, I guess I'm using my experiences as, as a send mum, those breaks are vital. Thinking about, you know, those, you know, how we are in those moments and, you know, bees made a really, that was a lovely um, analogy of if you're driving through frog, you don't whack on the accelerator and hoping you'll get through it faster. Do you think part of it and part of this, you know, as a carer um, is feeling confident enough to sit with the fear? because I think fear is something that drives a lot of those behaviors, those moments where we may say things, those, you know, all of those where we may trip ourselves up. It's fear that lies behind that. Is that something you'd agree with, Rebecca? Absolutely. And feelings in general. Um, There's um, a wonderful writer that we love called Glennon Doyle. And I love Glennon. (laughs) (laughs) We're big fans. I love Glennon. In her book, Untamed, there's a quote from there, which is, life isn't about feeling happy. Life is about feeling everything. And for us, that I've got goosebumps. That is is the that is fundamental that we are so frightened. This is why eating disorders arise, because people are frightened of their feelings. So they try and control it. Mm -hmm. And the same with 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 parents and carers. We are, you know, we're we're so frightened by you know all of those feelings that we will then try and helicopter or that's why we we kind of will try and control or lose our you know I was going to swear then but you know it's so what what we talk about is sitting with the feeling because the feeling itself doesn't hurt all right it's the thinking that we have about that feeling that drives us bonkers So, and of course, what's the deepest fear with somebody with an eating disorder, anorexia particularly, is that they will die, Mm -hmm. all right? That is the biggest fear. And, and, you know, I've spoken, I've worked with so many parents and it's actually, and this is, you know, this, and it doesn't mean to sound as grim as it probably comes out, but it's when we get to that point of seeing that, that we can't, we need to sit with that. We need to sit with that and how terrifying that is. But it's almost like that, and and again, another quote from um, JK Rowling, where she says, it was at rock bottom that I built my foundations. Mm. So if we we kind of accept that, and that's, and and again, even that word acceptance is, is is a loaded one as well. But if we can see that, that's the worst, worst, worst case scenario. And from that place, I've been to hell, all right, in my thoughts. So when I come back from that, I can be much more conscious in my parenting, much more conscious 
in my, you know, it's like nothing scares me now. All right. Yeah. yeah. And, and until we go there, mm. we're, we're like the jellyfish, as you say, just yeah. all emotion, all feeling, all reaction, yeah. all everything. Terrified, Don't, uh, too, too terrified. I'm not going there, not going there, not going there. Yeah. But actually we need to, just to see that actually, well, that, that's a small percentage, you know, that's mm. okay. So how can I be, how can I be more with my own feelings and how can that I then teach be? Yeah. So it's interesting when we talk about fear, because we, we also talk about um, a lot about the, what's the opposite of that, which is we see as love. It's kind of love or fear. You're either coming from a place of love or fear. And, and it's almost like the kind of antidote <laughs> to, to that, that, that constant fear, whether you're the carer or whether you're the person with the, the eating disorder. But I know that mum talks a lot with, with parents and carers about coming from a place of love, even though you might be getting all sorts of abuse hurled at you from, from the other person, the person with the eating disorder when we come from that place of love, what we say, what we do, look completely different to when we're motivated by fear. And, and that goes for, for all of us, every single one of us. Like for me, my, my attitude towards kind of food and exercising now, it comes from a place of love, <laughs> if that makes sense. It's like, yeah. I, I want to nourish my body. So I eat what I want to eat. I love food. So I'm going to give that to myself and enjoy it. I exercise because I love the, the way it makes me feel. It, it makes me feel strong. It makes me feel energized. It's just like all of those things. It's like looking at what's, what's your why? What's the why behind your behavior, your, your attitude, all of that stuff. And I feel like it either boils down to love or fear. Yeah. Like so much of what we do is driven by, driven by fear. That's, that's what fuels diet culture, that we're, we're so afraid of not fitting in, uh, afraid of being judged, um, afraid of not looking a certain way all of that it's all driven by fear and I just wonder like I mean behind that is all the kind of big companies trying to sell us stuff but I just wonder like what would it what would a world look like if it, that was all totally flipped around and our, our whys the reasons behind why we're actually doing what we do is what if that was flipped to love rather than fear I think the world would just look so different. I mean, I don't think we would have conflict. We wouldn't have wars. We wouldn't have so many, so many of this, the kind of the, the toxicity that exists in, in our culture down, bringing it back down to the kind of eating disorder level. I think that having that kind of base layer of, of unconditional love that mum had throughout it all was really what... Like I, I could sense that even, even when I was shouting, I hate you. I still knew that, that underneath that, there was that kind of layer of unconditional love. Um, and I think that's really what kind of pulled us through or kept us together at least. Yeah. And that's an incredibly beautiful thing. And you've encapsulated motherhood right there. But um it's, it, as you say, B, it's understanding that what is my intention behind this action? And the other yeah. word that was coming to mind as you were speaking with, you know, if we filter those decisions that we're making through that word love, you know, would we do them differently? The other word that comes to mind is compassion mm. and compassion for ourselves as the carer and compassion for ourselves um, as the person with the eating disorder and compassion for each other is a way in which we can, you know, 
navigate this storm, sail through it, because it is that, isn't it? That you have to, um, yeah. you wear your love as a life jacket. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's yeah. Nice. And it's, and I think it's also, like that word compassion kind of makes me think that it's, it's seeing other people not as their behaviours or their, their thoughts, their beliefs, their labels, their diagnoses. That's not who we are. Like that's not who any of us are. So it's like seeing, seeing the real person. We talk about kind of seeing, talking to the person behind the mask, talking to the person behind the eating disorder or, or whoever it might be. I think we all wear masks to some degree depending on kind of where where we are what we're doing but I think if we if we connect on that level then things just things are so different everything is so different because otherwise we're we're operating at this kind of surface level it's like talking mask to mask rather than heart to heart so I think love and compassion comes comes into that so much because it's like how can how different do things look when we're connecting on on that level rather than it's like our, our fears talking to each other it's like that's our fears we are not defined by our fears they might influence our behaviors but that's that's not who we are so actually connecting on that 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 deeper level um i think changes everything I love what you just said there, B. Is it our fears talking to each other? Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's really, as you say, at the heart of it. And the other thing I'm, I'm thinking as we're, as we're speaking is, you know, we describe in eating disorders, there's, there's our loved one and then there's the eating disorders voice. And I was thinking when you were talking about your relationship with food now and exercise now, and it comes from this place of self-care and self-love and, you know, I about taking care of myself and you said about flipping if the world was flipped and everything wasn't driven by fear culture and it was coming from face from love part of that is understanding how many of the decisions we make are coming from voices that are outside of us you know outside of the eating disorder voice these external voices that are shaping how we feel how we interact with the world how we interact with food how we interact with exercise diet culture is a set of external voices that we're looking to for validation um and the way you talk now you're kind of describing a much more intuitive approach that approach that is i'm tuning back into me as a human being and what i know that i need for myself um is that a word that feels comfortable to you describing your relationship with food and exercise now more intuitive yeah i think so i think it's just I I have spent so many years answering to the various voices in my head or the external voices but again I don't think that's even though even though a lot of those those voices are kind of internal again that's that's not us I don't know if you're familiar with Tara Moore who who's wrote the book Playing Big definitely recommend it's an amazing book and she talks about there being two, two parts of us, two selves, the core self and then the autobiographical self. And the autobiographical self, that's, I mean, the, the eating disorder voice would sit in that category. Mm. It's the inner critic. It's yeah. the, the constant chatter. Whereas the core self is, is kind of who we really are. There aren't necessarily words attached to it. There isn't this kind of constant narrative, this constant chatter. It's more about that, that instinct, intuition, the, the gut feeling. It's listening to our body, honouring honoring that. It's following, following our passion. It's, it's coming from that place. It feels like a much more grounded, kind of constant than this very, very fickle <laughs> part of us. I mean, the amount of contradictory thoughts we get every single day is just mind blowing. Like no wonder we're so confused and stressed out and anxious. It's an absolute mess up there. <laughs> and so, and, and yet we follow it because it's so loud. 
it's loud and it's chatty and it talks with authority mm. so it sounds important whereas this kind of deep part of us it might be it might feel quieter or we might not even know it's there because it's just been covered over so long with all this chatter and external noise so I think it's about and Glennon Doyle talks about this, about this in Untamed about this sinking it's like sinking from our head into our body and for me that's where that's where the answers lie it's like if I'm if I'm in a state where my my thinking feels um kind of urgent and um uh, busy and noisy then that means that I need to slow down and sink <laughs> That doesn't mean climb in there with it, with all that thinking and try and sort out what's, what's going on, try and find the solution there. For me, it's about sinking down to that core self, slowing down, quietening down and going with what feels warm. Like we, we talk so much about like how our decision-making now is based on what feels warm. Otherwise, we get so caught up in what's right, what's wrong, what's, what are the pros, what are the cons. Actually, that's staying in the intellect. That's staying in and playing the autobiographical self's game. And we get tangled up. I don't think I've ever actually made a decision based off a pros and cons list. Because <laughs> we just go with our gut. We sleep on it. And then we go with what feels, feels right in the end or what that nudges. So I think for me that's very much how I approach kind of everything in life or at least try to I mean it's sometimes easier said than done because we get so we get tangled up in our, our thoughts very easily but certainly when it comes to to food and exercise and the the, the issues I used to have around all of that for me it's just about like what do I want what does my body want what, what's going to bring me joy what's going to nourish myself and the answer to that always lies in that core self not the yeah but I ate this earlier so I probably shouldn't eat that now and oh I think I've probably reached my limit of what I'm allowed to what I should eat today and all of that nonsense so yeah that was that was quite a long answer to your, your oh, short God. question I love listening to my daughter <laughs> well I love listening to your daughter so you articulated it beautifully and in the words of Glennon that knowing yeah and I think sitting here as I said you know kind of like the hat of someone who had an eating disorder and the hat of a mum that connection is something that speaks to me as well part of a massive part of my healing journey was learning how to do that because I had spent so long dis using my eating disorder to disconnect yeah and I'm very cerebral and I'm very good at intellectualizing everything. But actually, the biggest piece of the puzzle, I think, in my healing journey was to get in touch with that knowing. And to hear you articulate it so beautifully is um, as, as a recovered anorexic, but also as a mum, it's very moving, actually. So yeah, Rebecca, I can see why you'd want to sit and listen. <laughs> One other thing that just comes up time and time again in conversations is also looking externally for validation mm -hmm. and for our worth, to find our worth, self-worth outside of ourselves. And again, I think it's it's exact same thing. We're only going to find that stuff internally. Yeah. I cared for way too long about what other people thought of me, what I what they thought about what I did what I said what I look like all of that stuff and so I was looking for this this validation externally and shock I never found it <laughs> because because we can't that's not where it comes from so we're just looking in the wrong place and I mean the good news is that because it's inside of ourselves we don't have to look very far <laughs> but it's just just tuning back into to that part of us which can feel kind of alien at first because we've we've kind of had it on mute for so long 
Yeah, no, absolutely. We've had it on mute and I think it's never enough. Okay, that external validation is always going to be a game of catch up. Yeah. Okay, because it doesn't matter where we're looking, it will never be enough. And I think that leads us quite nicely onto the question around young, young people now, and they're trying to navigate a very different world. It's very different to the world I grew up in to a certain, you know, be even at your age, social media didn't play the part it does now. TikTok, Snapchat, and social media can have, it can be really valuable and it can do wonderful things and it can connect people. It can be somewhere people find a safe community and platform and all of those things but equally it is a bombardment consistently of external expectations to our young people and my question to both of you would be you know in your experiences working in schools and universities how are you seeing this play out this kind of pressure on our next generation we we see it in the number of young people um coming our way who are suffering with eating disorders we we you know you we hear about it all the time. And one of the things that we're really keen to kind of do, if, if you like, we're here at the opposite end of that, which is the, the helping people put their lives back together after an eating disorder or during an eating disorder. But actually what we, what we want to do is to speak about body image and speak about, you know, one of the things that B and I say is, our bodies are the least interesting things about us. You know, this, this frame of us, it's, it's who we are as people that's more interesting. It's helping people reconnect, as B has said, not be frightened of that. And just to see, almost see through the illusion, if you like, that, you know, um, this whole diet culture and I've got to look a certain way is all manufactured is all about somebody's making a pro somebody is profiting from us feeling bad about ourselves and it gets younger and younger and younger there are some terrifying statistics um and i i'm, I'm not gonna I, I can't remember them but it was something like a huge percentage of five-year-olds are already on a diet and, and this was a statistic in the from the us but it's the it'll be the same here so what are we being taught? What are the parents being taught as well about, you know, how we talk about our bodies? If we stop to think about what, how amazing our bodies are, what they do without us even thinking about, well, we don't think about that. We're thinking about, oh, this thing here that I should get rid of. Oh, my, you know, at my age, my, my eyelids, should I, you know, and it's like that, none of that matters. None of that matters, really, none of that matters. So how do we, help young people see that um, becoming an amorphous mass of everybody looking the same is just nonsense. I don't think I was ever explicitly told when I was younger that, or at any age really, that we're all meant to look different. <laughs> it's like the natural diversity that we see in nature. Like we don't go around looking at trees and think oh that's got a bit of a knobbly bit there or oh that's a bit kind of tall and tall and skinny and that looks a bit weird and we think that we are above nature or that we are not part of nature but that we are we're just another animal <laughs> and and yet we we celebrate that that kind of diversity in in nature that we see outside of ourselves that when it comes to humans there's, there's an exception for some reason. And like, what if we were brought up to celebrate that, to, to celebrate our, our differences, our uniqueness? I think that would just, that's a completely different track <laughs> that we go down. Um, and one that is, I feel so much more positive. But I think also um, another thing that, that Tara Moore had, had mentioned was the work isn't to think better of ourselves. The work is to think bigger than ourselves. Mm. And I think that's so important because I think that all the kind of body positivity stuff that we're seeing is, is great, but it's still focusing on how we look. It's still focusing on 
um, us trying to us trying to love the way that our our appearance. But actually, what if that's not the point at all? <laughs> like, I feel like that's still looking at this very micro level. Like, what's the bigger picture? What what is what happens when we look bigger than ourselves? Yeah. What impact are we having? How are we showing up? How are we connecting with people? All of those kind of things that feel at the moment secondary. <laughs> it's like we put this outer shell on a on a pedestal that this is this is the what we should be focusing on first and foremost. But actually, I feel like redirecting our attention away from that even even from some of the body positivity stuff that's kind of convincing us to to love how we look that's still reinforcing the ideas that bodies are there to be looked at rather than about what what we can use this body this soul to to do in the world imagine for young people particularly if they didn't spend all the hours they do on how they look or how they think other people are thinking about them what what we could do and achieve yeah where could that energy go yes especially as women I yes think. have you read beauty sick no i haven't read that oh, it's a, it's a fantastic book it's written by dr renee and i can't pronounce her surname but i will put it in the show notes she is a researcher around body image and body mm-hmm. image alone and she she talks about all of these things about you know how we need to bring awareness to our language about how we as parents how we speak about our bodies let's talk about them as vehicles for living life let's talk about them as this is the shell which holds our soul it's yep. our soul's home and once we connect with what is it what are those values who who is rose b rebecca then mm-hmm. you know we can begin to shift that thinking but it's a very hard thing to do when we are saturated yeah. and our children are saturated with it and in it she describes part of the problem being that beauty means rare and historically before media we didn't see people that looked you know this particular aesthetic we didn't see them often because as you say B, nature is meant to be diverse we are diverse mm-hmm. and the problem is that those images are saturating media social media so our children are seeing these images all day every day and thinking that is the norm and therefore they are somehow falling short that's a lot of work to be in to push back against but as you say if we can connect to and that really spoke to me B because I really believe in you know ego work and dropping the ego and connecting with humanity at that kind of level when we begin to do that and as you say we can learn to use that energy to make things different and change our language and change things then you know we're going to flip this world as you said but I whether or not that happens you know it's slow you can be there there, there the rumblings you can hear it you can feel it but I there is still a way to go isn't there yeah there is yeah Yeah, and it and the thing is it feels like such a rebellious act (laughs) (laughs) to to kind of right it feels like a rising up Yeah. like this is rising up against what we've told is is the way things are it's like this is but this is the way that that things are now this is just how women are portrayed or men are portrayed this is just mm. it's like get over it get used to it <laughs> and mold yourself and hurt yourself in in trying to kind of chase this so-called ideal but it, it really feels like such a rebellious act to, to go against these messages that we're getting from all angles, because it is, it's like the, the air we breathe. Mm. We've been breathing in this culture for so many years that we don't even notice it. We don't even notice that it's not a part of us. It's not coming from our own instinct even, yeah. that, that we should look a certain way that we need to change ourselves in order to be better so I mean I'm I'm all up for the for the rising the rising yep. up the rebellion the revolution <laughs> I'm bring on, I say. yeah I am I am I am dropping it into my girls that I'm hoping by osmosis yes you will begin 
to absorb this so you know and that's it that's it's modeling and I think that's Mm -hmm. something we can do as you know people in is model it talk about it walk the talk be congruent Mm -hmm. and that kind of brings me quite nicely on to modeling self-care in that when we are trying to pick our way through all of this how do we do that where do we start what does it mean to you guys to take care of yourself and I'm, I'm pretty sure it extends beyond the odd bubble bar oh <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely I think absolutely I even kind of take issue with the words the phrase self-care because yeah. I think it, it's just been taken over in marketing campaigns to, totally. to sell you candles more products yeah more products exactly yeah yeah but I think for me, it's it's less of something you do. It's more it's more kind of a way of being. <laughs> it's yes. like not the occasional carving out five ten minutes to, like you say, go a bath. That's for me. That's not it. For me, it's about how day to day am I being kind to myself, um, honoring what my body needs, what my soul needs. Mm doing work that feels warm um how am I connecting with people that I love how am I creating opportunities for those kind of connections so I think and and my idea of self-care has changed a lot even just in the last kind of year or so that I would have definitely associated I mean I've got a candle next to me from the self-care co (laughs) (laughs) so for me it's yeah it's it's much more of a kind of a baked in way of way of living because otherwise we just our 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 own kind of internal battery just drains and then we feel like we have to top it up charge it for five minutes and then it drains again then we have to top it up and it's just it's not sustainable and it's it's kind of exhausting (laughs) and then when we actually get to whether it's having a bath or I don't know going for a walk or reading a book then actually we're too knackered to even enjoy those things so I think it's much like for me anyway it's much more of that um, an ongoing kind of checking in as well like what why why am I feeling so exhausted right now what do I need what can I do for myself to to not necessarily kind of make me feel happy but just to, to to rest or recuperate or do whatever do whatever my body is calling for um yeah so for me it's it's much more than a bubble bath I don't even like baths so <laughs> controversial I I for me I see it as and now and again like B this isn't how I used to see it because I was running on empty certainly when B was ill but now I see it as the starting point for my life rather than an add-on. It is my way of being. Um, And I think it came to it when I realized that I was spending so much time working or thinking about work, that the things that I love to do, which is a lot of needle craft and sewing and that kind of stuff, but I was shoehorning that into the end of the day. And as B said, I was too tired to do it. So, and I think, you know, it goes back to what you were saying before as well about that, that revolution. It's, it's asking ourselves the question, how, how do I want to live my life? And, and seeing that if I start from a place of self-love and self-care, then everything that flows from that is going to come from love and not from fear. So it's important, it's, it's essential that I fill my cup before I can do anything else to support anybody else. And I'm going to come from a completely different place. And I had to battle with that because I now don't work on Wednesdays because I, I, I got to the point that, and on Wednesdays I do all the stuff that I love to do, you know, that's, that, and I love to do my work, but anything that's not work because why not (laughs) you know who says that we have to just kind of burn ourselves into the ground who says that 
And yeah, again, it's the people that profiteer from, from our exhaustion because, oh, buy this, this will make you feel better. So self-care is a state of being, as B said. Mm. And I think like busting the myth that it's this indulgence. Yeah. I think it's just, it's again, like challenging the status quo. Whenever I would kind of ask someone how they're, how they're feeling, or pre-pandemic anyway, the answer would 99% of the time be, oh, really busy. And it's like, why? <laughs> why does that have to be the case? And is that, is that true? Are we, do we need to be busy and exhausted all the time? Or do we just feel that because everyone else is telling us that they're busy, we feel like we need to be busy as well? Kind of tuning into to what we, we actually want rather than just following what other people are doing because we feel like that's that's the right way to do things and we'll be we'll we'll stick out we won't fit in if if we're not just following following the crowd but that's the revolution isn't it that's where we can stand up and say it's almost like giving people permission to do the same you know it's it's like totally randomly but i've got silver hair and I've had it for a long time. And when I stopped dyeing my hair, people said to me, oh, you're so brave. I couldn't, I, you know, I could never do what, you, what you're doing. And what if this is the same? Putting ourselves first, putting ourselves at the top of the list so that we are nourished. What if that then, if we do this, we model that and then people feel, oh, oh, you can do that. And it's not selfish. That's the thing we need to, that's the myth we need to burst. This is not selfish, this is essential. And we are then in a much more profoundly settled and grounded place to be able to offer ourselves to other people. There, there was a, there's a beautiful quote, no idea where it comes from, about giving of our fruits, not of our roots. So if you think, you know, as a, somebody that, as a coach or anybody in, a, in the giving profession, we can't give of our roots because then the integrity of us is damaged. We can give of our fruits, what we've got to give, what's spare, if you like. And that absolutely goes against um, learned uh, behavior. It, that's a really beautiful image to give from your fruits. And it isn't selfish, it's aligned. Yeah. And I think, as you say, there's a huge amount of work mm. in helping people come to that place of feeling aligned. Um, but as we were, as you were talking then, the both of you, I had this image of the uprising. I had this image of the uprising being fueled by love and waving these flags of love and not just, you know, not selfless love, but love that comes from here yeah. and pours outwards. And with that, I'd like to finish by asking you both the question then. I always ask if you're on a mountain with the whole world's population beneath you, what would you want to tell them? My, I mean, for me, mine is be and embrace who you are. Everyone, I know that this is a, um, I don't know where it came from, but someone said something along the lines of, be who you are because everyone else is taken and I just feel like it's it's just so true like life is life is too damn short <laughs> and I know I'm just throwing in a whole load of cliches and but I'm, I'm totally okay with that <laughs> but it's it's so true that like if I was if I was to go back and talk to my teenage self it would be to say that because I just spent so much time worrying about not fitting in, caring too, way too much about what other people thought of me. Mm. And if we, if we can just align and, and love and, and trust who we, who we are and all of our wonderful uniqueness, but if we all did that, then, oh my God, can you imagine? <laughs> Yeah, all that conflict would fall away. That inner conflict, the external conflict, so much of it would just fall away. 
And I think for me, it's it's reiterate a couple of things, reiterating that about the looking back. And it's almost like, imagine yourself at 80, surrounded by all those you, that you love. And what wisdom would you share with, you know, the, the person you are now? What would you tell them to let go of? And what would you tell them to embrace and to live your life kind of then backwards in that way, if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, and the other thing is this whole thing, there's, there's, there's love and there's fear. And fear is only love in disguise. So there is only love. And live your life from that space. That's, that's beautiful. And I have to say a huge thank you to you both for today. I think it's been a really powerful conversation. And it's been a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you so much for inviting us. It's Thank you so pleasure. much for having us. Um, and finally, I'd like to ask you both, where can people find you and discover more about the work that you're doing? The easiest thing to do is to give you the link to our website, which is mm -hmm. recoveryfromwithin.life. Uh, and then you'll find everything there. We've got a YouTube channel that we upload weekly videos. We've got our book and you can get access to that on our website as well. Um, anything else, B? I think that's it. Yep, I think everything everything you need is on the website. Um, mm. As we've said, we offer one-to-one support, support for families. We've got uh, a new parents program coming out, a new workbook coming out. So um, yeah, yeah, check out our website and um, stay tuned. Lots of valuable support. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you're able to take something of value away from today's episode perhaps one small action you can put into practice today. If you are enjoying Reframe, then please do subscribe and rate the podcast as this helps us reach more lovely listeners. As always, here at Reframe Club, we are rooting for you.